Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. So we are jumping into the Behold series. And so if you uh, have missed the last couple weeks, you're kind of coming in on part three of a story here. Uh, but just know over the last couple weeks, we've been really focusing on this passage out of Revelation chapter one that says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account for him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And so over the last few weeks, we've been breaking down that last phrase, which kind of grates against my type A personality. Like it feels like it's out of order. Do you know what I mean? Where I'm just like, oh, it just doesn't go in chronological order. I wish it was was, is, is to come. Yet it is the way it is. I think for the reason that, that we're, he's trying to communicate that Jesus is God. He is God. And so when he says who is, he's declaring that Jesus is not just some moral teacher. He's not just some good guy. He is God. He is, he is deity wrapped in flesh. That is who Jesus is. And the gift we talked about in week one in, in all of the craziness of 2020 is that hopefully what the Lord is graciously doing is he's showing us places in our hearts or in our minds where we have turned to for hope that are not him. And so in, in him revealing that he is, is God, what we hopefully will see is that he is the only one that can hold this living water that he's offering. He is that living water. And anywhere else where we're going to try and put that, whether it's in our finances, whether it's in the economic outlook of our country, whether it's in our health, gosh, like that has become fragile to us this year. Our health doesn't look the same. Our relationships are maybe strained. If we're putting hope in those places, they were going to fail us. But that is with the gracious gift of the Lord to show us that those things weren't meant to sustain what only he could bear for us. And so hopefully that turns us back to him. And then last week we had Kent with, with us, which I think he just did a wonderful job unpacking God who was. God who was, that he's not just in this space in history. He's also been God. He's been God for a long time. And we looked at it through the lens of David and how David was, even though he got to sit in the halls of power, he was formed on the, on the hill being a shepherd. He was formed in this secret place where his character was developed. And so when it came time for him to put his confidence and his courage in the Lord on display, he was able to go back to a time when God had been faithful before. And so gosh, in 2020, hopefully what we can do is we can say, no, God will continue to be faithful to me no matter how crazy this life gets because he's been faithful before and he's not changing. Like his nature isn't gonna be different tomorrow like ours is. We're so fickle, our emotions change all the time, and yet he is constant, he's steady, he's dependable, and that gives us hope and it gives us peace. And so today what I want to look at is the last part of that phrase there, who is and who was and who is to come, who is to come. What I'd like to kind of pull us all into this mental exercise today, into seeing that uh, the idea of a future event is one of the most powerful influences on our behavior today. So if you think about like, if I'm aware of something that's going to be happening in the future, that has an effect on my behavior today, unlike almost anything else. So you can think about it this way. It is the Christmas season after all. And my kids um, are in the cultural that we are all sitting in. And so Christmas has, be it's become in some part because of what they're hearing at school, the commercials that they listen to, like, gosh, he knows what you, or he, he knows if you've been bad or good. 
So be good for goodness sakes. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Right? And it's kind of like these creepy songs that we just hear on the radio. But it's this idea that like, man, Christmas in some ways, what it's used for is just the behavior modification of our kids. <laughs> so I don't know if you have like Elf on the Shelf in your house. Like that's not for me, but I don't judge your parenting. Okay, I, I quit judging parenting when we did foster care. And all of a sudden, the parent with the kid on the leash made a lot more sense to me. And I was like... I, <laughs> I'm not doing it, but I understand you for doing it. You know what I mean? Like, I understand what's going on there. But, like, my kids will be walking through the stores this last couple weeks, and I can be like, hey, shape up. Christmas is coming. Like, and, that, and that works a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, they can't sustain that all year, but for this little brief window in the year, like, it kind of, like, they don't have the transforming work the Holy Spirit evidence in their lives yet in the ways, all the ways that I would like to see. <laughs> yet, like, we can kind of use this idea of a future event to modify and impact our behavior in the present. Like this, this is the thought I want to pull us into today. So um, I think about it like maybe you have, you have a vacation on the, on the calendar. Maybe you're like, okay, shutdown's over. We're going somewhere warm and sunny. Praise the Lord. And maybe if you have that idea of a future vacation in mind, like you all of a sudden might start eating a little differently because you know you got to wear a swimsuit on that vacation and you would like to modify some behavior now so that you could, because it's going to affect the way that you're going to go on that vacation in the future. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe you're, maybe you're a student. It's final season, right? We're trying to pack in all the finals that we have going on. And I remember for me in my schooling years, like this was crunch time. Like I would study in this time, finals, like right now, unlike I did the rest of the semester. Why? Well, because I have this future event, this exam that's going to be cumulative over the like whole last semester. So I got to study now like I've never studied before. I'm, I'm living in a certain way now that I've never lived before because this event is coming. And so like I've never felt this more profoundly than, than when we found out we were having kids. Any parents in the room? Like when you, it's not just like a baby changes everything when you have a baby. Like a baby changes everything as soon as you find out you're having a baby. Right? And, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm considering things that I've never considered before. I'm taking things seriously that I've never taken seriously before like health insurance. We were, we were 21 years old, broke, when we found out we were going to have a baby. And, and it's just like, man, do we even, like, does, what does health insurance even do right now? Like, how, is this going to help us? What do, what do we do? Like, I was considering, like, finances. Like, we're going we're gonna to have to stop eating out. We're going to have to start saving up some money. This baby's going to be expensive. It's crazy how expensive bringing a baby into the world is. It's not just a free thing you can do. It costs a lot of money. Uh, we started considering, started considering, like, our environment. It's like, oh my gosh, at the time we lived in this like four or 500 square foot apartment up in Old Town, Fort Collins. I was like, well, this isn't going to work. Where, you couldn't even fit a crib anywhere in this place, not let alone much like a little bassinet. It's like this, this space isn't going to work. Uh, we had to consider our neighbors unlike I'd ever considered them before. About four o'clock every Sunday afternoon, we'd get this smoke wafting on over into our apartment. I'm not talking cigarette smoke. I'm talking Colorado smoke, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> right? And it was like, well, there's no place to have a baby. Like we got to move. We got to get out of here for sure. Like you start living differently when you know that something's coming in the future. It's just true. It, it's, it's a reality that we're all living in. And, and this kind of thought brought me to Mary's story. Mary, who's, who's promised all of a sudden to have this child. And this child, this baby is going to change everything. And so I want to dive into her story. If we want to flip open to Luke chapter one is where I'm going to be reading from this morning. And I want to just consider the emotion, the weight of all that she must have felt in this moment. You know, she's going to have to have some weird conversations after this. Right? She's going to have to talk with Joseph at some point and be like, hey, listen, this is going to sound weird, but this is really what happened, I promise. 
Like there's all the snickering that's going to happen in culture as all of a sudden this unwedded woman is, is expecting a child. And people talk just like people talk now, right? There, there are probably whisperings and murmurings and all this stuff going on. And, and yet I want to look at how Mary, how, how she responded to realizing that she was going to be bringing into the world the Savior of the world. So let's jump in. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. If you have your Bible, open it on up. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, there's that word again, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so, my kids are really obsessed with the Mary Did You Know song right now, which is sweet, right? It's a sweet song. Uh, but the ironic answer that you're like thinking about as you read these passages, you go, yeah, she did know. Mary did know. She might have not known all the details that are given in that song, but like she understood that this baby was going to be different. It's like Mary, Mary would have had enough context, enough understanding of history to know that, no, this is, this is the Messiah. This is the Savior of the world who will sit on David's throne he will be a king and his kingdom will have no end is what the angel tells her. So Mary, did you know? Like, yeah, Mary knew. She might not have known all the details of how it was going down, but she understood that this was significant and, and it impacted how she behaved. And I, and I wonder today if we will consider what it will be like for Jesus to come as he's gonna come again, can that, can that stir us up in a certain way that impacts the way that we're behaving right now? So I just, I have two points for today and don't think that number of points is gonna dictate length of sermon because that's not the case. And really I'm using a kind of preacher trick where you have two points, but there's sort of four sub points in each point. So just eight quick things today and then we'll be out of here. <laughs> I wanna talk about the implications of Jesus' arrival, what it meant when he came the first time. And then I wanna talk about how that affects us as we look forward to his return. So just those two things. So the first thing that Jesus is, the first implication, the th thing that we always talk about that he's bringing in his birth is he's bringing, uh, he's bringing salvation to his people. Right, we talk about this. We talk about this often, that, that Jesus coming to the world, stepping out of heaven, laying aside his glory, entering the earth as a weak little baby, but then growing up to live this perfect life, to go to the cross, to pay the punishment that we were meant to bear, to pay the punishment and to take the wrath that we deserved, He's going he's gonna to absorb that on the cross in our place so that by faith, when we trust in him, that, that is now credited to my account and I'm redeemed and bought back to, who, to Jesus. And now my relationship with him is reconciled and restored. Amen. Amen. Amen? And so that, like, we talk about that and we talk about it often in the, ter in the terms of a personal narrative. Like, what does that mean for you personally? And that's important. It is important that this whole series, thinking about this idea of behold, like I'm hoping that it's not just we as a church would behold Jesus. It's that each of us as people individually would consider what it means that this God who is and who was and is to come came into the world to save me. There's a, there's a personal salvation story available for everyone and it should be told and it should be embraced and we should love it dearly in the Christmas season for sure. 
But what I want to explore today is how what God did in coming to the earth was not, it's not less significant than your personal salvation, but it certainly is more significant. It is so much more broad. It's so much greater than him just saving any one person or any few people. Like he was coming to usher in his kingdom. He was coming to bring in his reign and his rule. That is, that is what the word, like when we talk about Jesus' kingdom, that's what we mean. His rule and his reign in a given area. And so we, we've talked about before, we talk about it often, that we're in this space in history where we're living in the time of the already not yet of Jesus' kingdom. Like Jesus' kingdom has already begun to go to work on this earth. Jesus, when he goes into ministry, he's not just being a nice guy and healing people's diseases. Like he's showing us what it's going to look like in the kingdom to come. He's my way of living, my way of ruling and reigning. Jesus saying this is that you would not be sick, that there would not be disease. So he's going to cast these things out and he's going to not let them exist anymore. And people are healed. People are offered forgiveness. Jesus is now bringing people into the, to the ethic and the way of living in his kingdom. He begins to bring it in during his ministry and then he leaves the earth and the Holy Spirit now ignites what he left. And now the church carries his ministry forward and we get to expand and grow his kingdom alongside with him. But now we're still sitting in this time where we're, where we're longing for the day to come when Jesus would usher in his kingdom finally and fully. Amen, church? Amen. Like, can you get more painfully eager for that day to come the, the closer you are to pain, the closer you are to tragedy, I mean, depending on what you've walked through recently, depending on who you've lost, the loved one that has this diagnosis, you were like, come Lord Jesus to that day, right? Like you're like, get us to that day. And so I want to, I want to look at what that day, what we're really talking about here, because I think we confuse what it means that we're going to be with Jesus someday when we start to talk about heaven like, what, what does that mean? Am, am I just going to be on a cloud holding hands with you all, playing a harp somehow, listening to Christian radio all the time? Is that what heaven's going to be like? Like, but what the biblical picture of what we see with heaven is, it's actually, when we think of that word, what it means is God's going to remake this earth. We're going to be here on a physical earth that is free from the ailments and the pains of sin. It's, and, and we're going to exist together in physical bodies. Right? And, and Jesus, when he's got his resurrected body, he's teleporting and he's like walking through walls and stuff. So we might have that coming for us. Like, I, I don't know for sure. That's not one of my points at all, but that'd be awesome. <laughs> that'd be awesome. So I want to read a few passages of what heaven is actually going to be like, because again, what you're waiting for and your understanding of the event to come influences how you behave today. And so there's Several great verses. I'm just going to pull them. I, I, I can reference them for you later if you want to know what they were. They're not going to be on the screen, though. Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 35 that the deserts are going to blossom like the roses. And Amos in uh, 9.13 says that the mountaintops are going to drop sweet wine. And so there's this picture that the Old Testament prophets are going to make of the new earth, the earth to come, is that even the most barren, like forsaken places that cannot yield any life on this earth now are going to yield life in the days to come. Like the desert, the most, the most dry, lifeless place you can think of is going to blossom roses and, and the mountaintops, like, even though they are beautiful, Katie and I were just got to spend a couple days for our anniversary up in Vail. And we were looking at the mountaintops and they're insanely beautiful, but they're also void of life at the peaks. Like it is just cold, snowy, 
Like, it is beautiful to look at. I would never, ever want to live there. And, and so what the Bible is painting for us is this idea that even the most lifeless places here on earth in the renewed world, because Romans 1 shows us that even creation is longing to be remade someday, that even those places that are most, most life-forsaken places are going to thrive and be full of life. So the other verses that I want to unpack, there's Isaiah 65. There's going to be no more sounds of weeping on the earth. There are going to be no more sad things that happen. All sad things will be untrue is how it's said in Revelation. The days of God's people shall be like the days of the tree. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. So we see that there's this, there's this uh, animosity that is removed from not just people, like we don't do evil, we don't say evil, we don't speak evil to one another, but also like creation itself, all the creative order seems to be kind of put back together in the way that like predators and prey are now existing next to each other. And, and so this world to come, there, there's no more sickness, there's no more disease. Like, like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that the, you're getting this resurrected body. Amen, somebody right there. Like it's not going to be full of the aches and pains that our bodies are today. I know, I know you guys have given me a hard time because I've complained about being older in the past. I'm not going to do that again. But like I, I hurt myself sleeping this week. Like I hurt my neck sleeping. You, like we have these bodies that are failing us. We have these, these sicknesses, these diseases that go around. We have these diagnoses that are terrible and just won't be the case in the world to come. Our physical bodies are going to be remade. The crea like creation, the creative order itself is going to be free of all these effects of sin. There's going to be work to be done, but it won't be work that is cursed like work is now. It'll be work that's life-giving. It'll be all the things that are good about work and none of the things that are bad or frustrating or annoying. And we're going to have this beautiful relationship with one another, but most importantly, we're going to have this revelation deeper of who God is. Habakkuk 2.14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the seas. So I don't know if you've ever been on the ocean, but when you're on the ocean, you look around, all you see is water. Like it's everywhere. And then you go out farther and there's just more water. And so one of the cool things is that right now we have this revelation in part of who God is. That's what this book is. That's what our songs sing about. So we have this picture, we have this understanding of who God is, and we, we get to experience his character and his nature. But in that day to come, we're going to experience him fully. We're not going to have to ask questions about where was God's love when, how was God good when, where was his kindness, his faithfulness when. We'll just, we'll see it, and we'll understand him, and we'll, under, we'll, we'll know him fully and intimately and beautiful for the rest of eternity. And that's a day to come. That's heaven to come. So how does that, oh, sorry, let's not move on too quick. The key thing that we have to grasp then is that, that we, have, we have been tasked then with a, with a ministry starting right now. So that, that day is coming, but we are in the season to prepare for that day right now. Like we, we get so wrapped around the axle of like end times conversation. We always want to know when is Jesus coming? When the Bible just gives us, he's coming soon. He's coming soon. And so when is it going to happen? Like we don't know, but it's going to look like a thief in the night. It's going to be sudden. It's going to be instant. And the time for preparation will be over. But for right now, there's still work to be done. We, we get to be agents of his kingdom, ushering in his rule and his reign right now. This is the opportunity that, that Peter unpacks for us. 
I'm sorry, no, that Paul unpacks for us in 2 Corinthians. Tanner, go ahead and throw that slide up. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That word new, um, I just kind of want to delineate for you. There's a couple different ways that the Old Testament is going to use the word new. And, and in one of the ways, it'd be new in the sense of brand new, like just made. And, and that would be the idea, like when you turn 16, like maybe your friends, someone's going to get like a new car. I guess it's going to be new, new, brand new, two miles on it new. How sweet would that be? For me, I got a different kind of new car when I turned 16. I got an 84 F1 pip, F-150 pickup. That thing was sweet and it was new. It wasn't just new to me, it had been restored. My dad and I, a couple years before I ever drove that pickup, we took it all the way down to the frame. And piece by piece, we, we fixed the things that were broken. We covered up the spots that had rusted. We, we restored it and brought it back to this new state. And it's kind of a faulty analogy because that truck still kind of ran terribly and it left me stranded a couple times. But <laughs> you get what I'm saying. Every time the New Testament uses the word new, describing the new heavens and new earth, it's always talking about an earth that's going to be renewed, restored, not a brand new creation. It's this earth that we're going to inhabit it's these people that we're going to see in these bodies. And so that gives us a task for today. He goes on to keep saying, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Go to the next slide. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador but somebody belonging to a different kingdom, representing that kingdom in a foreign land? That is us representing the kingdom of God in the here and now, even though we're not living in it fully at this moment. And so, we now get to be agents, ambassadors for reconciliation. We've been given that task. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've now been tasked with taking that news to the world and living like you belong to a different kingdom. You live like you belong to Jesus in a world that doesn't follow after his rule and his reign. And we display that to the world. Paul writes, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's that, there's that payment being transferred to our account. Now we get to live even though we are not righteous and we're aware of the fact that, man, I'm longing for this day to come when my body, my actions, my mind all lines up with God's rule and reign in my heart. Like, gosh, that is not the way that we all live right now. Gosh, we try, and hopefully we're doing better than we did last year, but we still probably have spots where we are missing it. And one day we will belong to a kingdom. We will sit ourselves in a remade earth where that will not be the case anymore. We have this full revelation of who he is and our bodies will not wander. Our minds will not get caught up in places they should not go. We'll just belong to him. And so how does this, how does this impact the way we're living right now? Well, hopefully it gives us this burden in a good way, a healthy burden to go and to, and to preach the good news to the people that we're living around. Hopefully we're taking this message seriously. Then we actually are going and we're saying, no, listen, there's a different ethic to live by. There's a different king to live under. His name's Jesus. And we can bring that good news to the places where we, where we work, where we play, where we shop, wherever we're at. And so, for the last few minutes here, what I want to do is I want to kind of warn us of some drift that happens. Because we have, this, we have this goal, we have this thing that we're looking at. Jesus is our prize and we're running after him, but we're all prone to wander. We're prone to drift. 
we're prone to like bend off the path that he has for us in a couple different ways. And so I just want to call some of them out. So hopefully we can avoid them in our own heart. The first drift that I think we all have on this quest is, is into, into self-righteousness. We have this drift, all of us, into the, this idea of being very righteous in our own self. And I think this is really prevalent in our culture right now, uh, that no longer do you just disagree with people in their ideology, but right now, like, if you disagree, one of the things you're also simultaneously doing is claiming the moral high ground, right? So you even saw this happen with mask wearing. So that even if you didn't think wearing a mask was helpful or beneficial, uh, and you didn't wear one, you were morally inferior to the people who did wear masks. That's the narrative that was happening, right? There was, there was this, man, well, if you're not willing to do that, like, you're, you're a bad person. And you just can go down the political line of looking at all these different things that it's no longer just we have a difference of opinion on this issue, but it's that one, one person's always claiming moral superiority to another. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that we don't claim, we don't cling to our own moral superiority, but we constantly trust in Jesus's moral authority. We are constantly trusting in the way that he has ordered this world to work. And so on the one hand, it's, it's just so easy to pick on this kind of like, like liberal or, or progressive ideology. And I don't mean that politically. I mean that like in theological terms that you have these churches and you have people who want to say, no, like, hey, the, the morality is just changing. And things that once used to be not okay are now okay. And things that are okay like at one point, are now not okay. And this moral compass is moving, so to speak. And as we learn more and as we progress as a culture, we should change some of the rules. And at the end of the day, the, 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 like, the fundamental issue in every human's heart is are you going to accept God for who he is or are you not? That, that's what it's all going to distill down to. Because what we're after is we're after all the benefits of the kingdom as people. We want God's love. We want his righteousness. We want justice. We want his goodness, faithfulness. We want all those things. We just, we just don't want to surrender our need of the king. That's, that's mostly what happens. And so you have this drift in culture that people are claiming moral superiority over topics and issues, but they're not trusting it. They're not, they're not abiding in Jesus' moral authority. And we as the church, we're not, we're not sitting here boasting about our moral superiority to the world around us. But rather what we're doing is we're saying, no, I'm just clinging to who Jesus is, who he says, he, like we sh how we should live. And then in that, what, you, what do you see Jesus doing when he's ministering here on the earth? He's constantly going out into the world that's not behaving at all like him. And so he's constantly dining with and eat, like being with these sinful people and it's driving the religious people crazy. But the, the key note is that he's never compromising on what sin is. So think about the woman caught in adultery. And she's brought in before all these men who are, who, who like have the law in their corner that she deserves capital punishment. She deserves to be put to death for what she's done. That is what the law would have said. And Jesus, it's like just this great story. He's writing something in the sand. We don't know what he's writing. All the guys start to disappear. He picks her face up out of the dirt. She's probably been sobbing. She's probably beaten up a little bit. He says, woman, where are your accusers? And he says, go and sin no more. So Jesus has this dance that he does where he never fails to call sin, sin, or to call people into repentance when they're, when they're wandering from the way that he has ordered life to work. But he's also engaging into those hurting and broken spaces, and he's offering people a route out, as we should be too. 
as we should be too. We, do, we can't get caught in this quest for moral superiority to, to, the, to the detriments of the world around us. Like what good is it if the church is just so holy and pure and we just abandon all of our neighbors? That's not our call. Not, we should take holiness seriously. Absolutely. Yes and amen. But you just look at the way like churches have prioritized and programmed. All, everything's geared towards your personal sanctification, your personal process of growing and becoming like more and more and more like Christ. And that can be at times in our hearts, the drift is to prioritize that because we just go, I'm just working on myself. I just need to get alone with the Lord more. I just need to read my Bible more. And we never serve our neighbors. And we never are generous to the world around us. We're never engaging in the tough conversations with the people we live with. And so we can't be drifting into this, into this moral superiority, into this self-righteousness. I think it's interesting, James in 2.22 James 2, writes that you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. So you can, you can live your faith out in a way that is like, it's all about me and I'm just trying to get better. But it's at the end of the day, your faith is going to be made completed. It's going to be evidenced by the things you do. So at some point, we have to take this faith that's been given to us, this ministry of reconciliation that's been given to us. And even though we are not yet perfect, we got to carry it out into the world. And we got to do that with great humility and with this just ability to not feel like we are the morally superior people on the planet, even though we're following the one who is. So we can't drift off into this quest for self-righteousness, we also have to avoid the drift of just comfort and complacency. This is, this is the really easy one, living in America in 2020, like most of us being middle-class people, like it's all about comfort. The whole economy, all of the different brands in your life are all competing to offer you the most comfortable product. And, and listen, when it comes to the, like economics, I love that. I think it's the coolest thing ever. Keep getting new stuff. Things keep getting better. Computers keep getting faster. It gets smaller. It's awesome. I love the innovation, but it's not how the kingdom of God works. God did not call us to be comfortable. We're called to go and to get involved into the t tough spaces. We're called to follow Jesus into the places, wherever it is that he's leading us. Whoever's life he's calling us into, we're called to follow him there. So I think part of the reason that we drift towards comfort, especially when you're having this conversation about the end times, is I think we get like apocalyptic fatigue. If I can just make up a phrase here real quick. COVID fatigue is a new phrase that just got made up. So why not apocalypse fatigue? You know what I mean? Where it's just like, how many of you have sat through the end of the earth five different times in your lifetime? You remember that thing that happened in the 70s where they're like, see, Jesus is coming back. That thing that happened in the 80s and 90s, we're like, look right there. See that? See these signs. Jesus is coming back. Early 2000s, yeah, well, well, clocks are all going to reset to zero, whatever, whatever's going to happen, and so Jesus is coming back. And so there's all this like wasted effort in my mind trying to predict the date that Jesus is coming back. And sometimes I think, like hear this with grace, sometimes I think we get so caught up in studying when he's going to come back so that we can neglect doing the things that he'd rather have us do to be prepared for when he comes back. So like we have to, we're in this season now where we get to prepare for his return. And rather than sit here and try and pick which day, we just got to know he's coming soon. How soon? I, I don't know. A year closer than it was this time last year. <laughs> An hour closer since when you walked into this building. Like he's coming soon. And if we take Peter's word seriously, he's coming like a thief in the night. Like the time for preparation, who knows how long it will be. My question is just like, are we living our life this way? Are, like every single one of you, like if I were to ask you, do you believe in the return of Jesus? You would say yes. 
It's like a core belief of ours that Jesus is coming back one day. But do we live like it? Does that match our behavior? Do we have the right picture of what heaven's actually going to be like? Do we, do we somehow think that God's just going to nuke this planet and start over from scratch with all stuff new? Or do we actually believe he's going to renew this earth? That he's going to call back these people? Uh, I want to draw your attention to this, the way Peter says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the, earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So there is this coming day of judgment. Are we living like it? Go to the next slide for me, Tanner, the other one in Peter. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. So we're backing up a little bit. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I think you could almost say from this text that God is withholding, bringing his kingdom to this earth because we still have work to do because we still have people to go out and preach the gospel to. There are people who need to hear this message who are going to come back to him. And God, God is tarrying in his return to earth because he longs that nobody should perish. He's, he's just waiting for people to hear the gospel. And the question is, can that be us? Would you stand? I wanna just read one more verse and then I'm gonna pray. I think back to Mary's story. Mary's given this seemingly what feels like an impossible task to carry, to carry the son of God and to bring him into the world and then to raise him as a mother. It feels so difficult. And, and yet her response is after the angel kind of, you know, the angel says, hey, this is who he's going to be. And then she has some logistical questions of how this is all going to go down, which I think is fair. We can all agree that's just fair to kind of go, wait, okay, so what, what's exactly going to happen? But then she, her response is this. When she understands the picture, she says, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And church, I just wonder if that could be our response to whatever it is the Lord put in front of us this week, this next month, this next year. And okay, God, uh, that's maybe going to create some awkward conversation. Okay, wait, God, they're maybe going to think of me a certain way. They're maybe going to have these kind of conversations behind my back at work. Like, okay, but listen, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Let it be according to your word. Whatever you say for me to go do, I'll go do. So church, let's pray because this isn't going to be easy and it's going to take being compelled and moved and in tune with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, we ask that you would help us. Help us see the world for what it could look like if you were reigning and ruling in a given space perfectly. Help us to see our schools that way. When we're back in our schools, God, would we just look and ask ourselves the question, God, would this be happening if you were in charge? If you were ruling and reigning in this space, would this be happening? And how can I be a part of the solution? Would we see that in our workplace? We see that with our coworkers. Would we be really careful not to prioritize our own efforts to become more like you to the detriment of loving our neighbors? Would you help us step into those hard spaces and witness and love on the people that you've put in front of us in this world? Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for this week. We're thankful for all that it means. God, I pray that you'd bless all these people with just a wonderful week getting ready for Christmas. Jesus, uh, I pray that we would behold you, that we'd spend some time this week personally just looking at you and considering you and all that you've done for us. But God, will we also see the bigger picture as we do that? 
that you're aiming to save the world, not just our souls. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.